Y'all ready for a nap out there? Good morning. <laughs> That's better. Somebody's awake out there. Oh, you guys have a good week? Cold week, right? Yeah. I was like, oh man. Thursday was a heat wave, right? Now today feels like oh, Bahama weather. <laughs> That's you're very thankful for for propane and propane accessories. <laughs> Every all the heat in the homes. Well, thank you all for for being here today as we as we get to sing to our Savior and I. I was hoping that either uh, resurrecting was going to be on there or the, um, I forgot the resurrection day from, uh, so thank you. I was, I was hoping one of them was going to be on the, the ticket today for to just singing because, hey, we're, we're going to talk about the, the resurrection today. You know, as uh, we finished up chapter 19 of the Gospel of John last week, yeah, last week, you know, it's a, it was a hard chapter to go through, right? And we, we see evildoers putting the author of life to death. You know, we see the, the killing of the willing king who has come for all of us. It made me uh, think of one movie quote in particular. Uh, the district attorney tells a city this in a press conference. He says, the night is the darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you the dawn is coming. Now it's, chapter 19 is full of darkness. Actual physical darkness took place, as well as the darkness in humanity was seen. The whole wrath of God was poured out upon the Lord at the cross, and it was finished right paid in full now no more payments are needed we have choice before us to accept the free gift man it's really lopsided over here we need a couple people over here by down to march <laughs> but, you know we have a choice before us now to accept the free gift of god found in christ jesus alone or to not but the story goes on. The event that changed history is not over. As the quote says, you know, the dawn is coming. Paul says this about the resurrection in Romans. As he starts off his letter to the Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You know, the Old Testament gives us that, that grid, right? Just like on a map, like you're, oh, you're in A7 and you need to go to G14. How do you, how do you get there, right? This grid shows us who he is, 
He is to be the son of David according to the flesh. Throughout scripture, we see all the different promises of who he is, how he will live and, and die, how he will be a light to the Gentiles and what he will do. Well, the resurrection, as Paul states, shows us this, that he is the son of God. You know, I love the Gospel of Matthew. It is all about how Jesus is the king, right? That's the theme of, of Matthew. It's actually declared at his baptism who he is. This is my beloved son, right? And then it is declared again in Matthew at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. And then it was declared resoundingly you know, that's, you know, it's not a quiet matter. The historical resurrection of Christ is a fact. It is a gong, so to say, that clamors throughout all of history because it is the dawn of hope. That all nations can come to God through the Son crucified and risen again. You know, today we, we see what happened on that first Sunday that changed the world. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together, that we can learn more about you, that we can be transformed to, to live for your glory. That, that life isn't about the me, the I. But that it's all about you, Jesus. And that we can be a part of that story. We can point to you and know you more and enjoy you forever. I just pray as we go into John chapter 20 that you would lead us and guide us, help us understand. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, help us to just glorify you as we walk through this life. I just thank you for everything that you have given us. Thank you for a beautiful day that we can rejoice and be glad in. Because you are Lord, you are in control. We thank you for everything that you have given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'll go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we will read uh, verses 1 through 10. John records this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, 
but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as of yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Uh, John starts with on the first day of the week. Right, it, was a, it was a Sunday. You know, that's why we're here this morning, right? We, we celebrate because it happened on a Sunday. The Sabbath had passed, and now it was Sunday. John now focuses on the person of Mary Magdalene, just as he has done throughout the whole of the gospel. I, kind of, I always kind of found it weird, you know, hey, why is it just Mary, right? All the other gospels give the accounts of the women, right? Well, what has he done throughout his entire gospel? He's given personal interactions between people and Jesus throughout his entire gospel. That's why probably 90% of John is different. It's not part of the, well, I forgot the word that they call him, but the three um, do you remember the word, Alicia? I can't. Synoptic gospel, yeah, right? Yeah, they because they you know have a lot of unison together. So John is is kind of different because it's interpersonal, right? It tells us things. It gives us parts of like um, backstory that we don't hear from the other writers. But because he focuses in on personal experiences with Jesus. Be that Nicodemus, the woman at the well, uh, the sick man by the pool of Bethsaida, uh, the woman caught in adultery, uh, the whole of John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind, uh, to the Lord's love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And now the Lord's personal appearing to Mary Magdalene. Now she was a follower of Jesus. She was in John chapter 19, she had seen the Lord be crucified. She had seen where the Lord was laid. Luke reports that she had seven demons cast out of her by the Lord. John takes on this, John's take on this event does not discount the fact that there were other women there with Mary Magdalene, but merely it fixes upon her. Along with her was the other Mary, who is most likely the mother of James and Joseph and Siloam. Uh, in Luke's account, it tells us that jo Joanna and other women were there. You know, that's a whole descriptive matter, right? You know, it's like uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that there was a, a party of women that followed and even supported the ministry of the Lord uh, so this could have included the mother of the sons of Zebedee. That's the mother of James and John right there. As long as also with uh, them could have been Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Susanna. There's all the hard words to say today. <laughs> you know, and many others, as the Gospel of Luke records. 
who followed Jesus and provided for the ministry out of their means. You know, all of these women loved the Lord, and most, if, if not all of them, wanted to come and, and honor him in his death, just like Joseph of Arimathea had and Nicodemus had. They were hopefully going towards the tomb to anoint him with spices. That was the plan. They were even discussing, well, who's, who's going to move the stone for us? Well, as Mary went towards the tomb, she saw that the stone had been taken away. Matthew records this in his gospel. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. John fixes upon what Mary Magdalene saw, what she witnessed. And when she saw what the angel of the Lord had done, she ran. She went to Peter and John and told them this. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. See, even, even right there with how Mary speaks to John and Peter, we understand that there are other women present with her. Mary Magdalene is the first to report it. And she reports it like this because like the other woman, women, she was trembling, astonished, and afraid. That's how Mark records them. That as they heard the angel's message, they were astonished, afraid, and trembling. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, verses 5 through 8. Mark records this. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for they were trembling and astonished, and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. As Mark ends right there, right, kind of like a cliffhanger note, it's like, oh, well, we understand that they didn't, they didn't stay quiet, right? Because the story got out. You know, the, the Gospels were written. This event is reported to all. To all. You know, John records that after Mary reported this to Peter and John, that the Lord's body had been gone, they, they ran together to the tomb. And John, most likely being a, a younger man, outran Peter. Jesus, or to Jesus' tomb. He gets there and he stops. He just 
stoops in a little bit and seeing that the linen cloth is, is laying there and he he noted this as Peter goes into the tomb and sees this, he he sees the face cloth that covered the Lord's head was not lying with the other linen cloths, but it was it was nicely folded up and, and put in its place, kind of like you know, someone got out of bed and got the bed ready to get slept in again, right? It's strange. If you look at it, this is no robbery. This is no half-beaten dead man that somehow survived the cross. And all the women knew that this was the tomb. John and Peter knew this was the tomb. And right there, that destroys three theories that the world places before the resurrection. The theory that somehow Jesus' tomb was misidentified on that Sunday, that the women and John and Peter got it wrong. They, they went to the wrong tomb. They went to an empty tomb. You know, then why didn't the authorities just point about, hey, you got it wrong, it's, it's over there. No, they all knew where it was. And then it destroys another theory that Jesus didn't die on the cross and merely fainted. It is the swoon theory, as it's called. All people with that theory should go back to chapter 19, go back into history and read that Romans knew how to kill each other. John saw Jesus die, saw blood and water come out of where the spear had impaled him. And then others say, well, someone has taken him. Someone has stolen the body. It was a thief. Well, what, what thief says to the other thief, hey, fold everything nicely. You know, right? You know, let's, let's clean up before we leave. Well, John is, is showcasing this event to let us see that there is, there is differences here. This is, this is something really different is going on here. Something miraculous has happened. Well, then John records this, that he, he went into the tomb and he saw and he believed. It clicked for him in some way. You know, others had a hard time, but as it was seen in the Old Testament, the Messiah would not be abandoned on the, to the grave. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 16, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption the holy one would would taste death we see that from isaiah 53 he would be wounded as it spoke of in genesis 3:15 but he would not be abandoned you know, throughout the gospels again and again the followers of jesus don't understand that he must rise from the dead for it is written after seeing this Peter and John went back home, probably confused, right? What is going on here? John continues recording in verses 11 through 18 in chapter 20 of his gospel, saying this, But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, 
See, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi Owen, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he has said these things, and he and that he had said these things to her. <laughs> After Peter and John saw the tomb, they, they, they went away. But someone else had, had come with them. Mary Magdalene had gone to report to Peter and John that something has happened. The Lord is, is gone. Then she came back to the tomb. Now she stood there weeping. She did not understand what was going on, and, and neither did Peter and John at this point. Well, Mary looks into the tomb, and she saw two angels, probably not noticing that they were angels at that time, but she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and, and one at the feet. Well, these angels asked Mary, you know, why? Why are you weeping? And she answers them that, that they, that, that someone had taken away my Lord. I do not know where he is. And all the, all the confusion, all the, the wondering about the unknown, the angels had said this to the women earlier in the Gospel of Luke as they first came to the tomb. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said this to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, John's account shows that Mary just saw the stone taken away and ran. So she most likely, she might have heard these words. We don't, we don't know. Right from from cross references, it kind of seems like she saw one thing and was like something's happened. Right, she ran to Peter and John. But as as we hear the words and as we hear the reports, the message of the angels, the reports of the woman, this event is full of wonder, amazement, angels, and announcements. There's a lot to process here, right? And we've had a good 2,000 years to, to process it on the day of. It's like, dude, this is a lot to take in, right? So after she spoke to the angels, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there before her. But at this time, she didn't know it was Jesus. Here the Lord says to her, woman, why are you weeping? What, who are you looking for? Well, Mary thought, well, this must be the gardener because the tomb is in a garden therefore identifying again well they knew where the tomb was right so she says to him sir if you have taken him please give him to me so i can take him away 
Mary Magdalene, along with the other women, loved the Lord. He had helped her out of darkness, redeemed her, taught her about grace and truth and God. She wanted to honor him, even in death. Well, Jesus speaks her name, Mary, and immediately she knows that it is the Lord. It is Jesus standing right there before her, and she cries out in Aramaic, the, the language of the day, Rabbi Owen, which means teacher. That was the, the Lord, the master, the, her, her teacher, the one that brought true light to darkness. And she goes in for a hug. Who wouldn't, right? <laughs> but the Lord says to this to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not ascended to the Father, but go and tell my brothers and say this to them. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. That's, this is probably one of the most interesting verses in John. It's, we, we had a couple good debates at Frontier. What is, what is Jesus saying here? What is, what is going on? Well, Jesus is to go and be presented presented to the Father. Just as the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and is presented before him, Jesus is now going to the Father and being presented before him because it is finished. The work of Christ upon the cross is done. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to, to Hebrews chapter 9. If you ever want a good conversation or a good debate, just ask a couple Bible college students, what does that verse mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> but Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, the author writes this. <coughs> but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. For he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and their sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now this is a part of that presentation. Jesus Christ is the high priest. He's our mediator, our advocate that stands in between the gap between man and God. And he enters a more perfect tent. Well, what's that word? A tabernacle. That's what is built in very specific specifications. Moses wrote it down. This is how you build it. And then it's written down again in Exodus 
this is how they built it. Well, why? Because it's a copy of something, something that's in heaven, as, as the author of Hebrews tells us. There is one in heaven, in the holy place, not entered by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered by his own blood to secure what? An eternal redemption. Now, Hebrews is, is written to Jewish believers that, that want to return to the law of Moses, that this system, this is, this is better. In, in Hebrews, the author tells us the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the law of Moses is pointing to the need of a Messiah because this system cannot be fulfilled by us. It can only be fulfilled by the high priest, the blameless one. So the needed one came because the needed one was promised and pointed to even by the law that shows us our need for him. For all of those blood, all of those goats and bulls, all of their blood could not cover all sin. All of that blood pointed to the need of a Messiah. So the one without blemish came to be offered to God. And he alone brings us eternal life so we may serve the living God. The author of Hebrews goes on that you know, these are copies of, of heavenly things, that those things built in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle, the, the brazen altar, all of these different things, all needed to be purified by rites, right? You know, you can, if you want to pass time or go to sleep really quickly, just turn to the book of Leviticus. You know, that shows us all of, all of the purification rites, all of these things that even the priest had to do. It shows us that the heavenly things are better because they are perfect and Christ enters the perfect place in heaven itself appearing to God on our behalf. The system has come to an end because Jesus does not repeatedly go into the holy place sacrificing yet again. No, Jesus finishes and fulfills the law just as he spoke of right i come to fulfill the law and he did the author of hebrews goes on down in uh, verse 25 of chapter 9 or sorry yeah yeah for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is, he has appeared once for all to end, to, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear for a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting waiting for him. And Jesus brought an end to the sacrificial system. He atoned for, for all wrong once and for all. The system of the law is done. It is fulfilled. This was appointed. 
just like we are to die once and then face judgment. This too is, is clear and we know it will happen, right? Death and taxes and thankfully grace are the three things that are of life. You know, we need it to be clear. The law has been fulfilled. Why go back? The only way that old things are atoned for, dealt with, is through Jesus the Christ. Jesus was going to ascend to the Father now. He's going. And now he tells Mary to go, tell the brothers, let them know. Oh, isn't it a wonder and all of the confusion, right? They don't know what's going on, but Jesus comes and brings clarity. In a world of confusion, we can look to the author of life and find clarity. This is what's happening. Now I'm ascending to the Father. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God, and then I'll meet you in Galilee. Go and tell the brothers. Go, let them know. So Mary went. You know, she didn't scratch her head and go home. No, she went and announced to the followers of Jesus, I have seen the Lord. What a wonder, what wonderful news. After seeing personally what happened in 19, how, re how relieving. You know, the question is, what do we do with all the information we have? Are we going? Are we telling of what we have seen? You know, the, the quote goes like this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And we see that the, the world is hungry, hurting, tired, and weary, full of wars and rumors of wars, as we have seen this week. Full of displacement. And the world is looking for food, relief, and rest in anything or anyone. Running to this or that to fill them. We are to announce the good news. For the hungry, the bread of life is here. For the hurting, the good shepherd is here. For the tired and weary, the prince of peace is here. Jesus has risen. He is alive. He has overcome everything that overcomes us. And turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. This is Christ's call to all of us. Come to me. All who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. How, how many of us mess up? Get all those hands up, right? Get both of them up, right? <laughs> you can never mess up too much for God not to love you. You ever think that? This is it. End of line. End of game. God loves you. His heart is for sinners. Do you labor? Are you heavy laden? Are you, are you tired and weary? I was going on Facebook this week. I was tired and weary. Feeling for the people in Ukraine, the people in Russia. You know, it's just horrendous. And how many other things that we don't hear of that God sees and knows of. Come. I will give you rest. Take my, my yoke upon you. Learn from me and I am gentle and lowly in heart. It means that the sinners, the tax collectors who flocked to him, the messed up, the heavy laden flock to him. Because we all aren't good enough, right? Because good is not good enough. Perfection is. And the perfect one says, come to me. And we are to announce that he who changes the world is here to redeem the souls of humanity. To fix the source of all the problems that we see on the nightly news, which is sin and death, our state, right? Now Christianity is about announcing the Redeemer. We are ambassadors, Right? You get on that phone call to whatever, something's broken, right? And what do you hit? You press one for representative, right? <laughs> you got to talk to someone and let them know the problem. We're here to talk to people and let them know the problem. There's bad news, right? Don't worry, the story gets better. Good news, Right? We are representatives of Christ, telling of Jesus, pointing to him, for we cannot save ourselves. We will never be good enough for heaven. The perfect one came to bridge the gap. He is who we need to trust in. He alone can give us that gift of, of righteousness. He alone can present us blameless before the Father with great joy. And the resurrection is proof. Proof of who Jesus is, he says he is. It is a historical fact that we can look into and peer into for all the evidence. I submit Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell as exhibits A and B, you know, as, you know, we'll, we'll go through it like a trial. Both sincere atheists did not want anything to do with God. They peer into the resurrection. What are they now? They're Christian apologists. How cool is that? You know, if we turn over to the book of Corinthians, Paul says this. If you want to 
read with me as I go along in Corinthians 15. We'll start in verses 12 through 14. Paul is arguing with some people and what they have said in the Corinthian church. For now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And the, the Sadducees, you know, you can remember that they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, so they sad. Nothing. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been, been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And the claim of Christianity is that Christ has raised, been raised from the dead. Well, in Corinth, and even now there are people that say that, well, there's no resurrection from the dead. There's no, there's no afterlife. There's nothing to worry ourselves about here. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and become worm food. Sounds appealing. Not a religion that gets many converts. is very much the attitude of secular humanism, which is the main attitude of the world right now, in which we are the answer. Because there is nothing apart from the physical world that we can see, taste, smell, and touch. Paul tells us this, that leaves us stuck in vanity. Like I, you know, suggested Ecclesiastes last week, it's all vanity without God. Without his commandments, Paul goes on in Corinthians 15 and 17 and 19. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope only in this life, then we of all people must be most pitied. If this thought is true, if the dead have not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then we are stuck in our sins. We are locked in, and we will perish along with those who have perished before us. If the resurrection is false, then those who have trusted in it should be most pitied, Paul says. You know, Paul states in an amazing argument here that the physical resurrection of Christ changes our physical world, because of the historical data before us, it brings us to the truth that we can understand that God made the world, sustains the world, and interacts in the world. It's a classic theistic argument. The big words today, phylacteries, theism, ah! <laughs> That's why it's of first importance if you haven't already turned to 1 Corinthians 15 please turn with me there to the beginning of his argument I, I went in reverse order because Paul states clearly what is first importance what matters on 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8 Paul states this to the church of Corinth and most historians say this is an early creed this is an early creed that was dated not even 30 years out of the event. That's amazing. 
Paul states this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as, one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Have you seen that theme in, in Romans and then in Corinthians? It's according to Scripture. You know, as we started with Jesus' arrest, that, that we saw the plan coming. Paul expounds on that plan and in all of his writing, right, one-third of the uh, New Testament he wrote. He shows us the, the mystery, as we've seen in, uh, down in uh, the Truth Project, of the plan through the ages, written in the Scripture from Genesis to Malachi. It's, it's spoken of. This is news. This is good news. Gospel. It is of first importance. This is what we announce to the world. Because in knowing Christ, we are delivered from our estate of sin and death and hell. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. And Father God, we, we thank you for that first Sunday that changed the world. And just the amazing, critical importance of it. Just that we can, we can peer into it and we can, we can sift through the data and know that your son is risen from the grave. That it doesn't just end here. There is a heaven and a hell. There is a God who dwells upon his throne and that is sovereign throughout all the ages and that we can trust in you and we can love you and we can glorify you throughout our week. No matter what we do, that we can be about you, Lord, and point and proclaim and announce and be representatives of you here. And Lord, we... Just lift up everyone here, the hurting, the sick, everyone that's gone, that's, that's working and, and dealing with sicknesses, dealing with life. Lord, we just pray for everyone as they walk into a new week that you would lift them up, give them comfort, and, and help us understand that you have a heart for sinners, that you are the friend of sinners, that there is never too much mess that we can't clean up and come to you. No, you clean up the mess. You became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And thank you that you came, Lord. You came to deal with the source of all our problems, sin and death. I thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for everything that you have given us. Let us praise you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.